everything there till next next December. And for a lot of folks, that's what Christmas is. is. We'll put Jesus back in the box. We'll put the donkey away. We'll ignore the shepherds. We'll stop harking herald angels. And we'll leave it all for another 12 months. And if that's what people do, then they've really missed the whole point of Christmas. If they, if they leave Jesus in the manger and end the story there, it's not finished. It's not complete. Without the rest of Jesus' life, without what comes later, well, it's really just an account of how God wanted to spend some time with his people. We are going to be back in Mark today. And when I first looked at the passage that um, I was given, it, it, it almost felt like a, a jarring gear change. We've just been looking at little Jesus meek and mild in his manger, surrounded by shepherds and all that sort of stuff. And now, now we're looking back at the last few hours of Jesus' human life on earth. Before we took a break for Christmas... We'd seen Jesus have the Last Supper with his friends, then go to the garden and pray, and then be betrayed and arrested. So this morning, if you've got a Bible and you wish to turn to it, I'm going to be looking at Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through to 15, which should appear behind me at some point, and I'm going to read them. I'm reading from the ESV version because I like it. It says this. Uh, In my Bible, it was headed up, Jesus delivered to Pilate. It says this. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Jesus asked him, sorry, and Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You've said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who committed murder in an insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to him to release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man that you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. Having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. I don't know what traditions you've got in your house over Christmas. One of the ones that we've got is we like to go to the cinema and and watch a film as a family just before Christmas. So we all, on Christmas Eve, headed off to watch The Hobbit. And, yeah, I know. And 
I'm not going to do what Raj did, okay? Because, you see, I've read the book. I've read the book quite a few times. Not as many as some people, but I've, I know the story quite well. And so, when some shocking things happen towards the end, and not everybody makes it, I was kind of watching, thinking, oh, yeah, that's that bit. Oh, that's that bit. And Marie, my wife, was like, how shocking, how dreadful. I didn't see that coming. Or words to that effect. But it didn't shock me, it didn't surprise me, because I knew what the story was. And sometimes, with the story, with the passages that we've just read, that's how we can approach it. I know what's coming next. I know what the ending is. Yeah, Jesus is going to be crucified, but actually he's going to rise again. And we can, we can skip over this bit because we know what's coming next. So this morning, I just want to spend a very little time looking at the context of, of, of this passage and looking at a couple of the people who are in it. So... As you remember, if we look back, Jesus was arrested late at night in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's taken immediately to be put on trial before the high priests, before the council. And they then meet at dawn to put formal charges against him. Actually, the gospel writers say time and again, Jesus' trial took place early in the morning. It happened that way because Roman governors, they like to start their day early and then finish early. I'm not saying they like to go and play golf, but it's that sort of thing. Jesus is arrested round about midnight on Thursday, and then he has a hearing before Annas, and then before Caiaphas, and then finally the Sanhedrin Council, the Jewish court, where they try to pin charges on him. In fact, before he gets to Pilate, He's already had three trials. None of them are in any way legal. The the Jews, they had laws for everything. And they even had laws for how you had trials. And, well, I could go on for quite a while about that. I've, I've really enjoyed doing the research for this, actually. But... Quickly, look, you couldn't, if you were going to be arrested for a capital crime, bless you, if you were going to be arrested for a capital crime, you couldn't be arrested at night. If you were going to be involved in the trial, you couldn't be the one who arrested him. That's Judas out of the way. Um, No trial could be held at night, it had to be held in the daytime. You couldn't, if you were the judge involved, you couldn't make a decision on that day. You had to hear the trial during the day, then go away, think about it, and then come back the following day. And actually, it had to be a full council vote, and it wasn't a show of hands and a shout out. It would start with the youngest, work your way through to the oldest, so that nobody was influenced by people older than them. There were rules to follow if a trial was going to be done properly. They arrest Jesus and they take him to a bloke called Annas. 
at this point, Annas isn't even a high priest. Annas used to be a high priest. He was high priest for about 17 years. What he was, was he was the bloke in charge of the temple who got really upset when Jesus chased all the money changes out of it a week before. He's got a bit of a vested interest going on here. It's already, already looking like a stitch-up. Everything about it is illegal. And Jesus says nothing. When Annas is finished with him, Jesus doesn't answer him, and they take him off to Caiaphas, Annas's son-in-law. Annas has got a group of men together at about half past three in the morning. That trial's illegal too. All of these men are breaking their own rules. Caiaphas knows there aren't any witnesses to Jesus doing anything wrong because Jesus hasn't done anything wrong. So he doesn't call any witnesses. He talks directly to Jesus, which is another rule that he's breaking. But he talks directly to Jesus. Jesus doesn't say anything till Caiaphas asks him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And at that point, Jesus answers him, I am. If you look at this passage, it's worth looking at it in all four Gospels because they all pull together to build a story. And in Matthew's version of this, it explains what it is that Caiaphas said that made Jesus answer. Caiaphas says, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you're the Messiah. And one of the court rules was if you're asked directly that question, you must answer. So Jesus obeyed the rules. Under God, is this you? Yes. He's not worried about their rules and regulations for all the stuff they're ignoring, but actually, there's a law here. Jesus follows it. He's the only one who's following any laws or any rules in any of these trials. Yes, I am. And then Caiaphas tears his garments which he's supposed to do. And he says, we don't need any more witnesses. That's useful because he hasn't got any more witnesses. And they spit at him, they beat him, they mock him. And then his first two trials are over. Jesus is bleeding, he's bruised, and there's still no official verdict on him. Nothing that the Romans are going to recognize. Then he has his third trial, the shortest of all of them. They vote to take Jesus to Pilate. They decide that Jesus is guilty of blasphemy. Blasphemy is punishable by death. That's what they wanted. They wanted an execution, not a fair trial. They've just got a couple of problems. The Jews could condemn someone to death. They just couldn't carry it out. The Romans had taken that right away from them. Before Jesus could be put to death, Pilate has to agree to it. And the charge of blasphemy is not going to stand up in a Roman court. So by the time they leave their own court and end up in front of Pilate, they've managed to switch it from blasphemy to treason, claiming he's guilty of trying to overthrow the government. So he's brought in front of Pilate. And Pilate interviews Jesus 
Actually, if you put them all together, all the, all the gospel accounts together, Pilate interviews Jesus, can't find anything wrong with him, sends Jesus off to Herod. Herod, sleazy puppet leader of the Roman government, doesn't do anything, just wants Jesus to entertain him, wants him to perform miracles for him. Jesus ignores his questions. Herod has him beaten and mocked further and then sends him back to Pilate. It ends up back at Pilate. So, I want to briefly look at Pilate and then look at one other chap in the story. We know quite a lot about Pilate. He was called a governor. Actually, his title was prefect. I don't think that means he was head of school, but it means he came from the Roman guard. He was quite a middle-class guy. He was appointed by Tiberius. His job was to look after the province for the Romans, to keep things under control, to collect the taxes, keep the peace. And really, to make that happen, you kind of let the locals have their own way a bit, manage their own affairs. Pilate wasn't very good at that. If you look at any of the history books, the accounts of him, they say he he wasn't a very good leader. He was quite vicious. He didn't have much time for the Jews. They didn't have any time for him. The historical accounts of him say he was responsible for a lot of the turmoil that happened at the time. When Jesus comes before him, Pilate asks a few routine questions. What's the charge against him? They couldn't really tear. They can't really say, well, he, he says he's the Messiah, because Pilate would just wave his hand and chase them away. All four Gospels agree that Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? The problem is that to Pilate, king of the Jews means military leader. But to the Jews, it means Messiah, it means saviour. The chief priests, they wanted to confuse Pilate into thinking that Jesus was some sort of rebel and a threat to Rome. Actually, it doesn't work. Jesus disarms it. He says in John's account, um, chapter 18, verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest. My kingdom is from another place. The Jewish leaders begin to accuse Jesus of all sorts of things. And the Bible says very clearly, Jesus made no reply to the great amazement of Pilate. Pilate's got to have been completely confused by what's going on around him. Why do the Jews want him killed? Pilate finds him guilty of nothing. So what do you do? Well, there's the custom to release a prisoner at Passover. It's one of the few things that Pilate did that the Jews actually liked. Maybe he could declare Jesus guilty, just for the record. I mean, I know he's not, but declare him guilty, and then make the people choose, and they'll choose Jesus, and actually, it'll all be all right. Everybody will be happy. I won't have to make a hard choice. So he puts Jesus up against Barabbas. We'll get to Barabbas in a couple of minutes. Pilate wants an easy way out, and he says, who do you want me to release, Jesus or Barabbas? And then the crowd say, give us Barabbas. 
the people had spoken. They wanted a guilty man set free. They wanted Jesus to die. Pilate is in an awkward place. He's never asked to be in this situation. He never meant to set a murderer free. In his mind, he knows Jesus is innocent. He knows it. He tries one more time. What what should I do with Jesus then? He knows what he should do. He should let him go because he's innocent. What should I do with him? And the crowd say, crucify him. If you put it together, Pilate tried four times to avoid having to sentence Jesus to death. He tells the Jews, look, try the case yourselves. Then he sends it to Herod. Then he has Jesus whipped, scourged, and hopes that'll sort the crowd out. And then he tries to do a swap. He knows Jesus is innocent. He knew Jesus had done no wrong. Pilate didn't understand Jesus, but he didn't want him to put him to death either. He wasn't fooled by the Jewish priest's appeals to Roman law. He wanted to release Jesus, but he didn't want any cost to himself personally. He wanted to let him go, but he didn't want to have to make a personal stand. He admired Jesus, but not enough to believe in him. So he gives in. He gives in to public pressure. He gives in to private blackmail. And he sentences Jesus to die. So now Pilate's guilty. Cowardice in the moment of crisis. He sells out an innocent man to save his own job. He condemns a man he knows to be innocent. In, in trying to avoid a bit of confrontation, he actually ends up as someone who in every Roman Catholic, Anglican, traditional church service is remembered in the, in the creed as the person who condemned Jesus to death. He chooses to deliberately pick a lie when the truth is standing right in front of him. He didn't, un- didn't understand it, he didn't believe it, and he didn't follow it. He was close enough to reach out and touch the truth, and he didn't. He had two choices. He could go with his convictions, and he could say Jesus is innocent, and head down the path that would lead him towards Jesus but that would have had massive personal cost. Or, he could deny it. He could make it go away. What he really wanted was a third choice. Was, look, this Jesus is a nice guy, but I don't want him to impact my life in any way at all. Let's make him go away. He talked with Jesus. He asked Jesus the questions. He asked him the questions... Are you the king of the Jews? Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? His head is full of information about Jesus. His heart and his spirit are completely untouched. I wonder how many people in the world have that exact experience at Christmas. Say all the right things about Jesus. Know all the right things about Jesus. Talk about him being born. Sing carols about him. Explaining the whole thing. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. 
God and sinners reconciled. They're odd words to sing if you don't believe them. But now Christmas is finished and people move on. They put Jesus back in the box. They leave him behind like the leftover turkey. They move on to the next thing. Shopping, sales, returning to work. There's a... I think this has been recorded, so I'll be very careful. There's a church in the town where I live, and it's a lovely church. It actually seriously is. The people are brilliant. They've just got a really bad choice of posters they put outside. Some of them are great, and there are others as well. And one of them says, remember, Jesus is for life, not just for Christmas. Which is a good slogan. As Christians, we live that out every day. For us, every day is Christmas. Not in a bizarre Groundhog Day sort of thing, but actually every day we can celebrate the reality of who Jesus is. The truth about Jesus. Pilate asked the question, what should I do with Jesus? It's a question everybody has to face. There are only two answers. Either accept him and follow him or reject him and pay the consequences. There isn't a middle ground. There isn't a Jesus is a nice guy, I'm not going to let him affect my life though. There's... I didn't write down which book I got it from, but there's... This quote's quite, it's quite long and it's quite blunt. It says this. I'm afraid there are many people like Pilate in our world today. Not too many possess the position or power that Pilate enjoyed, but many are confronted with the truth of who Jesus is. Many are confronted with the sure knowledge that he's the only way to get to heaven. They come face to face with the truth, but they're too afraid to commit to a life of following him. Instead, they cling to their sins, their empty lives, and their tragic eternities. Some reject Jesus because they're afraid they can't live for him. Some reject Jesus because they're afraid of what others will say about them. Some reject Jesus because they love their sin more than the truth. At the end of the day, everyone who rejects Jesus does so for the very same reason that Pilate rejected him. They reject Jesus because they're afraid. It takes courage to come to Jesus. It takes courage to admit you're a sinner. It takes courage to admit that you're helpless to save yourself. It takes courage to admit that you need Jesus. It takes courage to bow before him and call on him for salvation. It takes courage to stand against the world and live for him. Courage that Pilate didn't have if you're not a Christian here this morning then there isn't a third option there isn't a Jesus was a nice guy and it's sad what happened to him I'll put him in the box till next Christmas there isn't a third option either accept him or reject him and if you need to know more about accepting him, there's a great Alpha course starting soon.
Okay, I very honestly, very briefly, just want to look at Barabbas. I could tell you all sorts about his background. Um, his name, Barabbas, just means he's the son of a father. That's about as vague a name as you could get. He was a revolutionary. He was an insurrectionist, which just means he was a rebel against the government. Actually, he was a murderer as well. He came up against the Jewish authorities, was arrested quite rightly. He was one of a group of people who wanted to see the Roman Empire brought down by military means. He might have killed a Jewish sympathizer, he might have killed a Roman soldier, but he killed someone. He was a thug, he was a terrorist, he was a murderer. He's the last man that you would want out on the streets. To be fair, everybody's going to be happy that Barabbas is in jail. You're going to sleep a little bit easier. Well, until the events of the passage. This nasty murderer has got a sentence of death over him. Every right to be executed. And then Jesus dies in his place. It's the gospel message. We, us, we are Barabbas. Now, if that offends you, that's okay, I can live with that. We are Barabbas. I'm not as bad as him. Really? Well, in whose eyes? The only eyes that matter are those of God. Barabbas had committed crimes. He'd rebelled against the ruler. He'd put his own view about how things should be done first. That's what we do. Put our own will and interests before that of the person in charge. We're all guilty of rebellion. And many other things as well. I've got a nice long list, but I'm going to skip over it. We all fall below God's standard. For Barabbas, the punishment was going to be death. For us, without Jesus, it's the same. Barabbas had no way out. No appeal, no excuse, no hope. And it should be the same for us too. And if it was, if it ended there, that's a pretty miserable state of affairs. You are guilty, there's nothing you can do about it, and the sentence is death. But what we're going to read in the next few chapters, over the next few weeks, changes everything. It's what Jesus does at the cross. It's why Jesus died. All of these fake trials... All of these illegal proceedings, Jesus chose to allow. At any point, Jesus could have gone, this is ridiculous, I am innocent. At any point, Jesus could have called down an army of angels from heaven and the Father would have sent them. Jesus chose all of these things to happen so that he could die in our place. This will take me a couple of minutes over time, but that's okay. <laughs> There's a, a story that we used on Alpha many years ago, many years ago, 
I'm just going to read what it says. On the 31st of July, 1941, a prisoner escaped from Auschwitz. As a reprisal, the Gestapo selected 10 men, just at random, to die in a starvation underground bunker. One of the men who was selected to die was a man called Francis Gajinistek. And when Francis Gajinistek was selected, he cried out. He said, my, my poor wife, my poor children, they'll never see me again. At that moment, a Polish man, unimpressive looking, with round glasses in wireframes, stepped out and said, look, I'm a Catholic priest. I don't have a wife. I don't have children. I want to die instead of that man. And to everyone's amazement, his offer was accepted. Maximilian Kolb was the name of the Catholic priest. He was 47 years old at the time. He went in with the others into the starvation bunker. He got them all praying. He got them all singing. It transformed the atmosphere, apparently. He was the last one of them to die. Actually, they gave him a lethal injection. 41 years later, on the 10th of October, 1982, Maximilian Kolb's death was remembered in St. Peter's Square in front of 150,000 people, 26 cardinals, 300 bishops and archbishops, was Francisca Ginistec, the man who was saved. The Pope described the death of the Catholic priest in these terms. He said it was a victory, like that won by Lord Jesus. He gave up his life so that another could live. Jesus gave his life up. Someone has to pay for things that are done wrong. There's an accounting, there's a punishment. But just as Jesus pays and Barabbas goes free, Jesus chooses to go to the cross to pay for our sins too. Through the cross, we become clean, we become free. And he chooses to die to pay for it. The cross sets us free from our sin. Jesus didn't die just so Barabbas could go free. He died for all of us. He died for you. He died for me. And to benefit from that, we just need to accept it. If you're a Christian here this morning, then it's all about his grace. Barabbas didn't deserve anything. We don't deserve anything. Jesus chooses to pay for us to go free. I'm going to ask Shirley and the band to come up for one last song. Whilst that song is going on, we will take our offering up. Look, if you're not a Christian, then there's a choice to make. You can either accept Jesus or you can reject Jesus. But there is a choice to make. And if you want more information about that, if you need help in making that decision, talk to someone here or come along to our next Alpha course. Wednesday, the 28th of January at Melbourne House.